Welcome along to episode four of Call of the Wild, the podcast from WWF with yours truly, Kel Spellman, where I look to find out about the threats to our planet and more importantly, how we can fight back. What can we do? In this episode, we're going to be focusing in on fashion. Fashion is brilliant. It lets us express our individual styles. It's entwined in history and culture, but, and there's always a but, the past decade has seen a rise in buying and binning clothes at alarming rates. Fast fashion is leaving its print on our natural world like never before, with brands now producing almost twice the amount of clothing today compared with over 20 years ago. And the numbers speak for themselves. It can take 2,500 litres of water to produce the cotton needed to make a single t-shirt. Just one. And if we were to look at emissions, the production of textiles worldwide emits 1.7 billion tonnes of greenhouse gases annually. I'll be joined by supermodel and climate activist Lily Cole to tell us about her fight against fast fashion and her work to protect our planet. It felt to me like banging that drum was not a very popular thing to do. I'll also be chatting with Alexis Morgan, WWF's apparel and textiles lead, to find out the extent of the problem. This is a matter of what are ways that we can still express ourselves in a way that are still within the kind of limits of our planet. Plus, we'll be finding out how to care for our clothes and make a sustainable fashion statement. Fast fashion, that is a term we hear a lot. But what actually is fast fashion? Today, we have so many different trends and styles to match our constantly changing interests. Fashion companies are now releasing new styles, new colours, new designs every few months, rather than seasonally or annually. Today, on a global average, every person buys around 5 kilograms of clothes per year. But in Europe and America, the figure is as high as 16 kilograms, over triple. So that means people are wearing clothes only a few times before getting rid of them. And that is where the environmental impact starts to take their toll. I had the chance to speak with Alexis Morgan, WWF's apparel and textiles lead, who explained why our clothes can have such a detrimental effect on our planet. I think probably the place to start on this is is when people purchase something, whether it's a pair of jeans, a shirt, a dress, whatever the case may be, I don't know that people really appreciate all the time how many steps there are in the production of those different pieces of apparel. From the energy required to process cotton or polyester, to weave it, to create the the fabrics, to do the dyeing and run the factories, all of those different pieces along the journey do kind of contribute to the different energy components. For example, about 50% of the fiber out there is polyester. So half of the global material that goes into clothing is is polyester, which is basically oil and gas. Or even if you're cotton, which is about 25% of people's clothing, there's a lot of impact that that cotton production has on habitats, its land clearing, its water use, and that water use comes from other places and it has other impacts. It's a big issue on carbon. It's about 10% of global carbon emissions come from this. So there's some really big knock-on effects when it goes to that. Okay, well, let's dig into that a little bit further. I think we tend to think that a t-shirt begins its life the moment we pay for it, but safe to say 
that isn't the case. Let's find out what journey it's been on before it ends up in our wardrobe. Your humble t-shirt began its life as cotton harvested from farms, most likely in India, China or the USA, often in areas that have cleared out important habitat to make way for this marvellous material. Cotton, because of its large production volumes, can use a lot of water. Take the Aral Sea in Uzbekistan, for example. Once the world's fourth largest lake, it's now dried up after its water was largely used to grow irrigated cotton. We're talking 2,495 litres of water on average to grow just 250 grams of cotton, which is about enough for your t-shirt. Cotton's also usually sprayed with tons of pesticides and insecticides, which can harm the soil, wildlife and farmers. Machines harvest the cotton, press it into bales, and these are transported to a factory. These bales are then put through a variety of automatic processes, which refine the cotton, strengthen it, and weave it to transform those squishy cotton puffs into something resembling fabric. The cotton is then often taken to a new factory where it's soaked in bleaches and dyes to achieve a bright spectrum of colours for our clothes. These dyes, apart from using even more water, can contain very harmful chemicals and heavy metals which can end up polluting land and water around the factory. A lot of these processes can be automatic, but the actual stitching of the fabric into clothing is usually done by hand and unfortunately it's often in places with abysmal working conditions and exceptionally low pay. The t-shirt is then driven, railed or shipped again to its final destination, racking up miles and miles of carbon emissions before ending up with you on the shop floor for a few quid. Quite alarming, isn't it? When we break down that journey, I mean especially for conventional cotton, it's a lot. Now, organic cotton is far more sustainable, which is why it's important to keep an eye out for it. But Alexis, that t-shirt's journey doesn't just end with us buying that item of clothing, does it? Yeah, no, it, part of it is in the production process, but also part of it is coming from when we wear the clothing, when we're using it, and when we wash clothing, the dyes come out in the water, the plastics come out in the water, fibers come out in the water, and that's another major source of, of where things come from. Again, the choice of fibers in things will actually influence how much you probably need to wash that. I don't know if you have any merino clothing or if you've ever worn merino. Merino wool, yeah, oh, yeah. There yeah. you go. And and yeah, merino wool is, is is really fascinating because you can wear it and after you wear it, it doesn't smell really all that much. And then conversely, if you've ever worn some forms of polyester, you'll find you wear it for like 15 minutes and you're like, oh, I'm not, maybe I need to put another level of deodorant <laughs> on or something. You know, I think... We need to check our automatic assumptions on all of these things about how long things last or, you know, if we've got a tear in something that it's garbage straight away. There's a lot of these automatic sort of things that I think our minds go towards that we need to start thinking about because those behaviors actually are where the cumulative impacts really lie on a lot of these things. We've, we've mentioned, of course, a lot about materials here. So what are the materials we should be looking for and what are the ones we should be avoiding? It's a really tough one because it, it often matters how things are produced as opposed to which fiber it is. If there's opportunities to buy organic cotton or other sort of 
pieces like that, look to those. With organic, one of the key things that's happening is you're not dousing it in tons of pesticides and, and chemicals. What you're really doing with organic is you're creating healthier soil. When soil is healthy, it holds water better, it holds carbon better, it does a whole bunch of different things that allow you to not have to irrigate as much and takes carbon out of the atmosphere better. You know, I think things like polyester, you can say on the on the outset, they're not great because they're a sort of a form of fossil fuel and therefore we should be trying to move away from them. But there are elements to them that they require lower energy and lower water in certain regards. So they're not all bad. Trying to get clothing that is going to last longer is always a good thing. There are other forms of fiber, for example, with viscose, the source fiber sometimes is from trees and, and grasses. For example, you might find Forest Stewardship Council or FSC on the logo of some things. Try to find those additional sort of pieces and send emails to companies, ask them about it, ask them about what their sourcing is and kind of dig under the hood. And as someone, Alexis, who really is in, involved in this space and, and working with those companies and I've seen it you know, across a number of years, have you really noticed a big shift? Yeah, for sure. A little over a year ago, VF, who's the sort of parent holding company for brands like North Face and and so forth, put together a sustainability bond, a $500 million sustainability bond just this past February. H&M put together a sustainability bond. and, And those different green bonds that they're issuing are financing changes in their operations, in value chains to make these changes because there's a lot of money that's needed. At the same end of it, you know, like a few years ago, I was in Pakistan and there's this sort of sewer system coming out on the side and and the water coming out of the discharge pipe is like bright purple. And you're looking at it going, yeah, there's still so far to go on some of these things. Of course. And obviously with fast fashion, you know, what I think it really comes down to is we're in a time where we consume at an exponential rate and we want things fast, we want things cheap, and then we throw them away. Is there a world in which that is possible and it's and it's sustainable to be able to deliver clothes like that, or is it not really? That's an excellent question, and I, I don't know that I have a perfect answer for it. I would love to. I would love to say yes. <laughs> I would say in the current models, probably not quite, but there are definitely ways that we can lessen the impact and still use a similar sort of model. A, make sure if you don't want clothing that you're putting it back either to somebody else, give it to a friend as a gift, take it to a, a donation center or something like that, because then that clothing can see another life and somebody else can pick it up and say, fantastic, that's exactly the style and thing I was looking for. So it's about giving longer life to those pieces of clothing. Let's start fixing the parts that are failing and not throw out the whole thing when one part of it fails. And there's ways to then kind of, you know, have fun with that, like personalize and accessorize things. So we need to build approaches on these that also make it cool to extend the life of clothing. But Going to to secondhand stores is a fantastic way to get some really amazing quality products sometimes for just way less than we would otherwise. So I always encourage people to to kind of look to that because it does extend the lifespan of things, but is not causing the same level of environmental damage. Alexis Morgan from WWF, thank you so much for the vital information. 
In a little bit, we're going to be speaking with supermodel and climate activist Lily Cole on how she's using her platform to protect our planet. The textile industry uses a lot of toxic chemicals, especially to dye and process clothes. This can lead to severe damage to water basins and soil and poisons the people, ecosystems and wildlife that live near those sites. Call of the Wild reached out to people around the world whose lives are being impacted by the textile industry. Madhu Vishnu lives in a small city called Jodhpur in India. Now this is a region that's known for their textiles. And also in the bigger sense, India is one of the top suppliers of garments for the global clothing market. But as the demand for new clothes increases, Madhu has seen firsthand the impact and environmental stress this has put on the area and is motivated to find greener ways to work. Majority of garment is dyed in chemical. Chemical dyeing is cheap and easy. Chemical dyeing is a place where you can get the very brighter color. And that is what making people love the bright colors fabric. But they don't know where the fabric is coming from, how much water is going going into like washing and creating this fabric. And again, it's a need for people to produce something here. So we just produce it. But there is no, you know, system in place. They don't know where to throw the water. And they have been throwing the water in the farms or they've been throwing the water in the river. So those rivers, which used to be beautiful, clean river, now got polluted because of the all chemicals. You know, when the farmer can't use the land, they're left with no option but also opening the another factory in that area. Even in the monsoon, when this river starts with the heavy flow, you will see that after heavy flow and overflowing, this chemical comes on the road. So, I belong to fashion and we try to build a lot of changes in my small village, become caught through fashion. When it comes with the dyeing process, we create the cloth where people feel proud to wear it. They don't feel guilty about what they're wearing. We are using a lot of vegetable dye or we are using a lot of organic dye, like a natural dye. After eating vegetable, we soak the peel and we make a beautiful like colors out of it. So we really want our consumer to understand that they need to demand like vegetable dye. They need to demand where the garment is coming. They need to demand more information. If they will demand the natural dye, the production will happen in the same way. It's like demand and supply. I really want to message every single consumer that when you're buying, just be aware what you're buying. See where it is coming from. See if there is a more information provided. It is a part of your human right to know where your garment is coming from. Some brilliant wise words from Madhu there. Transparency and having all the information available to us, I think is absolutely key. And let's not forget, it's not just humans that are being impacted by these chemicals. River dolphins in the neighboring city of Jaipur share rivers with textile and apparel companies. So not only is this water harmful for these animals, but the chemicals also poison smaller fish and all the other animals that call this place home, which then is in their food supply. Reasons to be more positive are that WWF is working with companies in the area to try help them adopt a better water stewardship and transform their business practices to improve water quality of these vitally important rivers. Now, up next, I've been super excited about this interview. I am joined by the brilliant 
incredibly impressive Lily Cole. Now, I'm sure most of you will know Lily as a supermodel and actor. We've seen her on our screens, billboards and runways. You might remember that iconic plastic bottles dress at the Met Gala Ball. Well, she has stepped away slightly from all of that and now bangs the drum for climate activism and sustainable fashion, working out how we can best protect our planet and look at all the things we can do to play our part. I think as I started to travel the world through my work, I started to see more nature and really develop an appreciation of nature. And there was one particular moment I was traveling in Japan for a month when I was 16 and I'd been asked to meet mountain worshippers in the north in these very kind of, I guess, holy mountains where many people pilgrim every year. And I remember the morning that I was going to meet the mountain worshipper sort of laughing at the idea internally, you know, and just thinking what a ridiculous idea to, you know, worship mountains. And then after a day of listening to him, but also of being in these incredible mountains and like being amongst these like thousand year old giant trees and the landscape really moved me and suddenly like by the yeah by the end of the day mountain worshipping made so much sense and then alongside that I realized that every other social issue or animal issue that I might care about would be made worse by an unhealthy environment it was like how can we not be freaking out about this it's the only planet we have you know and if the scientists are warning us that we're using it and abusing it in an unsustainable way, then we need to deal with that. We're focusing on the fashion world in this episode. And of course, Lily, that is a world that you you know um, very well. I mean, you've worked with the likes of Rimmel, Alexander McQueen, Love, Chanel, just to name a few. When did you start to realise about the, the impact the fashion industry as a whole was having on our climate and environment? My career kind of really took off when I was 15, and it was all very fast and exciting and and yeah, I didn't question it much. I think I was kind of aware of the problems in fashion only so much as I started to say no to wearing fur because that was an obvious one. And I thought of like, you know, sweatshop labor because sweatshop labor had had a lot of media attention and I'd never considered what the steps are before you get to a sweatshop. And so the, just the simplicity of reading about farmers who are making cotton production just opened my eyes to the fact that there's a whole... There's a whole chain of people and environmental impacts behind each product we we make and we use. I felt a kind of double responsibility because I was modeling that I wasn't just buying products. I was like essentially persuading other people to buy products. And so, yeah, it felt conflicted and also very curious to learn more. And so I started to become more interested in like what a social business can look like, what fair trade can look like and and started to work with companies like The Body Shop who were trying to produce things in a better way. How how difficult or easy was that? You know, kind of try and straddle maybe both sides of it. How was that for you? Do you know, I think it was a lot harder then than it is now, which is a really good sign of the way things are going. It felt to me like banging that drum was not a very popular thing to do. And there was a small group of people who were really committed to sustainable fashion and still are today, but they were a minority. And the image of sustainable fashion, I think I even did a shoot where I was wearing like a hemp bag or something, taking the piss a bit about what that conception was of of sustainable fashion, that it would be kind of ugly and, you know, hippie and clunky and not very comfortable. And therefore, it also, it felt like somewhat in conflict to my work. And 
that I would have to say no to a lot of the jobs I would otherwise do, which wasn't a huge problem for me because I was at school, I was at university, I'd started acting, I started setting up my own businesses. So I didn't have the aspiration to be a full-time model at the time. So it was okay to do that. Financially, probably not the wisest decision, but, <laughs> but um, it didn't stop me from working. Nowadays, it's interesting because I'm kind of reopening my heart and mind to the fashion world again and seeing that there's so much positive change. I mean, I'm not to say there's not a million issues that need to be dealt with and the statistics around the impact of fashion are still terrifying, but it seems to me there are so many brands, big and small, trying to improve their both their social impact and their environmental impact. And I think there's also a cultural shift around sustainability that is making it more fashionable. When it comes to sustainable fashion, have you had a particular favourite moment or like a, a change that you've been involved with that you felt proud of and gone, wow, you know, I didn't, wasn't sure we were going to do that, but we did it. Or that has kind of, that didn't think, see that coming. Have you ever have you had one of them? Yeah, I mean, I've had some awesome experiences through the journey. Some obvious ones that come to mind when you ask that. I did a project for a while looking at the wild rubber supply chain in the Amazon. Um, we went out initially with WWF in partnership with Sky. And I designed trainers with the company Veja, who I think do an awesome job. They've got um, up to 50% wild rubber in the soles. I think 30% wild rubber in the soles and some jewelry. And the story with wild rubber is that wild rubber is you tap through different wild rubber trees spread throughout the Amazon rainforest. And by paying local communities to tap the trees, you're giving them an income that comes from the forest. Whereas right now, all of the economic incentives encourage deforestation. And so it's an important lever to try and protect the forest. And I asked Vivian Westwood when we got back to the UK if um, if she would make a wild rubber dress for me, which she did. So she made a, a dress with a wild rubber corset and then I wore it with her to the Met Ball. It was a punk themed Met Ball. And it was the most punk dress because it was just like all her values baked in. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that one was pretty cool. She also made another dress for me that was made out of recycled plastic bottles for the Oscars. I saw that. Yeah. So there's been a couple of cool moments. But I say the biggest thing is just seeing the general uptrend and becoming more mainstream rather than just petering away or staying super new that would have been really depressing I actually looked on Google Trends recently I you know you can search search words and I searched um, sustainable fashion out of curiosity and it was really interesting to see the curve like over the last 10-15 years it's just been a really kind of like a ski slope you know like an upwards curve doesn't come as a surprise to me but clearly represents the fact that it is a, a movement gaining momentum um, and what I think is interesting about fashion is that fashion isn't just clothes. You know, fashion is like our cultural zeitgeist. It's much broader than just clothes. It's kind of the, the way that we manifest our values through the way we dress ourselves, through the way we show ourselves, whether that was kind of, yeah, Victorians in corsets or um, women wearing trousers for the first time. That was how politics comes into fashion. And so if um, sustainability is becoming more fashionable. I think for me, that just speaks of the wider movement, of the wider cultural implications of what our society is valuing and saying we want, you know, to, to be. What changes then from kind of your knowledge and experiences would you like to see from the fashion world and from the corporations, firstly? Oh, big question. <laughs> <laughs> And this is uh, Lily Cole's run for president here on there. Uh... <laughs> um, I mean, politically, but this isn't up to the fashion world or corporations. This is up to politicians. I think 
carbon pricing, when I researched different political solutions for my book, Who Cares Wins, carbon pricing came through again and again as the one that everybody talked about needing to happen. We have a kind of version of it working right now, but arguably not clear and strong enough because it would just change the whole dynamics of the economy and the marketplace if you made companies pay to pollute. It would incentivize them to pollute less and it would make consumers see the real price of of products. You know, the future is owned by the companies that care. And same question, but for us as the consumer, what do you think we can be doing to be having a more positive impact, particularly when it comes to fashion? Yeah, the thing that I've been trying to do often imperfectly for many years is to just really recognize my buying power. Every single day I am making choices about what I eat, um, what I buy, what I do with my time that is part of a global economic system that is really shaping our world. And so kind of, I guess, yeah, taking some ownership of that and trying to make more mindful choices whilst not being too harsh on myself and not striving for perfect is my way of, of, feeling like I can improve my impact. When it comes to fashion, I try um, to support sustainable designers because I know how hard it is for especially small, new sustainable makers to make their products. And then I really focus on quality rather than quantity. So buying things that I truly love and that I will have a long-term relationship with and that I will repair or fix if I need to, but not having a kind of disposable attitude to, to clothes. Honestly, was blown away by Lily Cola, and I will say it here now. You're going to be able to get more of that chat on our bonus episode, which will come out in a couple weeks' time. And trust me, it is well worth your time. And as always, we've got that brilliant My Footprint app from WWF. It's free to download from your app store, and it is chock full of ideas on how to reduce our own footprints on the planet and make that difference. Okay, let's see what it says here. Making a fashion statement. Join those passing on polyester. Treat yourself to organic cotton instead. Avoiding synthetic materials in favour of natural materials like organic cotton will help you have a more sustainable wardrobe. You could also use a microfiber bag. When washing your laundry, throw it in a microfiber bag to collect polluting microplastics. One load of washing can shed up to 17 million plastic fibres. That is going to be the first thing at the top of my shopping list. And that's not all. It's time to hear from you, lovely lot, about what you're doing at the moment to try and be green. Take it away. We moved house this year. My mission was to make our new home as low impact as possible. Our kitchen units, bed, carpets, curtains, wall tiles, sofa were second hand. And we supported local businesses that make items from recycled materials. When I fall over and I get holes in my tights and leggings, we don't throw them away, we sew them up instead. Over the last few years I've cut my meat intake from every day to about twice a week. I've switched to plant-based alternatives and especially over the last year I've enjoyed trying out the new brands at the supermarket. All my milk and yoghurts are now dairy alternatives which have a much lower water usage and carbon footprint than cow's milk. I don't think I'm able to cut out cheese quite yet but as soon as there's a great tasting alternative I'll be all over that. Friends, thank you. If you've got any hot tips or think Call of the Wild need to know about it, send it on over. It's very simple. Just send a voice note to callofthewild at wwf.org.uk. 
So there we have it. We have arrived at the end of another episode. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey around fast fashion. A massive thanks and all the appreciation to Alexis Morgan, Lily Cole and Madhu Vishnu for their help exploring the issue with me. Next time, we're going to be looking at our climate, finding out how we travel is putting pressure on our planet, what we can do to help. And of course, I'm going to be joined by another special guest in the form of singer-songwriter Birdie. But if you can't wait that long, do not fear. We have got a bonus episode coming out in two weeks' time and it is well worth you getting stuck into. It features more of my brilliant chat with Lily Cole, which we couldn't squeeze into this episode, so please do check it out. And if you're thinking, Cal, two weeks is still too long, do not worry, got you covered. Head over to YouTube because WWF have a channel full of content about the awesome work that they're doing around the world to combat these issues. It's just WWF UK's YouTube channel. You'll find a playlist of extra content called Call of the Wild. This is a Fresh Air production for WWF, so please do subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. The wild is calling. It's time to act. Thank you.